Quest, the Wednesday edition. It is certainly good to have you on today. And if you'd like to, you can go ahead and get your Bible out and turn it over to James, the second chapter. That's where we're going to be at for a good bit of our mm-hmm. podcast today or webcast. We might go out of that later. But um, we're going to be talking about partiality. It's just a gentle reminder that this is BibleQuest.tv. So we like to go on a quest for what the Bible has to say about something. And so partiality, although, yes, it is a very hot topic right now, we're not here to take a political stance or any such thing. We're here to simply search the scriptures on what it has to say about a subject like this. Um, And James 2 is a perfect passage to start in. So we're going to be doing that in just a little bit. I'll go ahead and bring on the panelists. Um, Jeff, it does look like you have us in gallery view. You might want to switch this over to speaker view. Um, Uh, It says, I think I've got you in speaker view. When I'm talking, I see me. What do you see now? um, Well, yeah, I'm looking at the Facebook feed and it was in uh, gallery view, but maybe it'll fix itself. That's okay. Okay. But uh, joining us is, and uh, if you haven't already uh, met Jeff Smelser, go ahead, Jeff, introduce yourself. Guy who's supposed to have us in speaker view. <laughs> and of course, you are in, um, I'm blinking now, uh, you're in Exton, Pennsylvania right now. Oh, course, oh, <laughs> the guy gives me such a hard time because I can't say the name of the right. you're, you're in, you're in Extonburg, Pennsylvania, my bad. Um, and then, of course, we've got Joe works with us in Elmira, New York, who I was actually with just yesterday. I could have we could have sat right next to each other if we'd done this yesterday, Joe. Yeah, yeah. If you if you stuck around a little bit longer, we could have done this. But uh, good being with you yesterday, and uh, glad to uh, be able to study with you today. Yes. So, um, like I said, we're going to be talking about partiality, guys. I think that this is a, a good topic. Um, it's certainly something the scriptures speak a lot about. And I just want to start in, in James, the second chapter. Any other introductory statements y'all want to make before we jump into the text? Nope. Um. Just, just that, uh, you know, I think this is the way to talk about some of the things that are going on today. So people are so focused on one aspect of partiality, but if we looked at what the Bible says about partiality in all kinds of applications and see how we ought to treat one another, uh, that's going to that's gonna have application um, to race relations as well as to relations between people from different economic backgrounds as well as to... Um, people who have positions of authority. Um, and, and so I think that's really the way to approach this is let, let's come at this from a biblical perspective instead of from a uh, humanistic or human perspective, instead of from a worldly wisdom perspective. The best thing we can do with any topic, go to what the Bible has to say and let that shape our thinking, shape our conscience, and ultimately dictate our actions. So let's read James 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Um, I personally love the book of James, um, and he is going to, uh, in this section, give them a scenario, hypothetical scenario, and uh, obviously something that they struggle with. So let's go ahead and read what it is that he has to say to them here. James 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil motives? 
Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do, not, do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Y'all, I personally love different passages in the Bible that are just so clear when something is a sin. Like, to the degree in which it says, this is a sin, like in verse 9. If you show partiality, you are a committing sin. Um, and so this section, James, I love how he introduces it in verse 1 by saying, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. That's what he's really wanting to address them about, is showing favoritism toward a certain type of person over somebody else. If you are a child of God, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is something that you cannot be doing. So I think that there's a, an interesting thing here to notice. It's verse 4. Evil uh, thoughts make distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. I think, did you say evil motives? It did. Now, here's the question. What could be an evil motive that somebody might have in showing partiality to the rich? Well, maybe they're hoping to get something from the rich in the way that yeah, they treat yeah. them. Back in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is, is invited to a feast, and he goes and he, know, he, he sees how things are going in this feast. And so he has some things to say to them. In verse 12, he said to him, this is Luke 14, 12, he said to him also that had bidden him, when you make a dinner or a supper, don't call your friends or your brethren or your kinsmen or rich neighbors less happily, and in, in other words, in the hopes that, or perhaps, they also bid you again and recompense be made to you. But when you make a feast, bid the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The point being, sometimes some people are inclined to treat certain people favorably because they hope to get something out of it. Their expectation, if, they're, if they show partiality to a rich man, is he'll do me a favor. And they wouldn't give somebody who's not in a position to do them a favor the time of day. And that's the kind of partiality that I think that, that we're seeing, especially in focus here in James chapter 2. Yeah, and so the way that they're treating them for the rich man would be buttering him up. Uh, but for the poor man, it's, it's a lack of care. It's a lack of interest in them because they're assuming that this poor yeah, man can do nothing for them. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I'm going to treat him this certain way because he can't give me anything in return. Joe, go ahead, brother. Well, I was just thinking that as so much of the epistles are written in this fashion, this is simply one example of the way to show partiality, right? Um, yeah, that's right. And maybe even a prominent one, and thus it's a, a significant, what we ought to do is not lose track of how this is an example, and we might be thinking, okay, but so I don't show partiality to uh, toward rich people in, in favor of rich people. I don't look down on poor people, uh, but are there other ways in which we can do that? And so I think it's helpful to, to try to think, how does this apply to me? Where, where am I struggling sure. with showing partiality? And it's going to be different right. for people. 
So yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and we'll we'll look at some other passages here in just a little bit. I got one that's rattling rattling around in my head that we'll we'll look at that makes it clear that um, we can be partial in term in other ways as well. Um, but Jeff, go ahead. I was going to make some, another point from the text, but go ahead. Well, no, I, I I'm I was I actually was going to do a couple of things, but they were going to take us away from this immediate text. So go ahead if you've got something else here. Yeah, just a few other things to point out. James is making it clear in treating the poor man the way that you have in verse six, he says that you have dishonored the poor man. You have treated him as less than yourself at that point. You are saying he is less than me. Um, and he's calling that, that out as wrong. Uh, another good thing to point out is what James appeals to in verse eight, the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In treating the poor man the way that you did, and James' implication as well is, by the way, don't you realize that the rich are the ones that are oppressing you? So it would appear that the majority of the audience James is writing to are not rich, but are in fact poor. And he's like, you're treating somebody that's literally on the same level as you, as beneath you. That's not right. You've dishonored him, and really you're being hypocritical at that point. You are not treating your neighbor as yourself, so you are committing sin when you act in this way. And what we're getting at as a whole is a, a attitude problem. Um, the New American Standard back in verse one says an attitude of personal favoritism. That word attitude is in italics, which normally means that it's, in, it's not in the Greek language. But it's still, I think it is an attitude problem that we're talking about here. Um, so maybe another word sometimes could be used is a prejudice. You see the rich man, the way he's dressed, and you're assuming something about him. And the way the poor man is dressed, you're assuming something about him too. And so you show personal favoritism to one over the other. So certainly some good principles here uh, that I know convict me every time, but there are certainly some other passages that describe a different type of partiality other than just um, economical uh, growth and or economical success. So, go ahead, Jeff. So let's take a minute to go, you know, the partiality is a prominent theme in the Bible. Let's take a minute to go all the way back to the Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy, first chapter, and verse 17. Uh, there were various men put in the position of being judges in Israel, and they were responsible for rendering judgments between people. And one of the things that uh, they were warned about is showing partiality. So let's start in Deuteronomy 1, 16 and 17. He says, then I charge, this is Moses speaking at the end of the 40 years of wandering. He says, I charged your judges at that time, uh, early on in their time in the wilderness, saying, hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countryman or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. In the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. There's an interesting connection between this passage and the statement in John 10, when Jesus quotes Psalm 82 and says, I said you are God's, and so on. But we may not have time to talk about that today, and that might actually be a distraction from the point we want to focus on. But in this text, again, notice you've got these judges who uh, are in a position of authority, and they could show partiality, and they're warned not to. And then there's Deuteronomy chapter 10, where it says this. This is Deuteronomy 10, verse uh, 17. 
For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice, and then it specifies what categories of people. The, the orphan and the widow. The orphan and the widow. So often in the Old Testament, in the prophets, in Psalms, we see admonitions to be concerned about the orphan and the widow. And sometimes this is connected with warnings against showing partiality. Why would you need to talk about the orphan and the widow when you're warning against showing partiality? Huh. Yeah, by the way, I never made that connection, especially with James 1, 26 and 27. Uh, thank you for that, by the way. That's really yeah, interesting. That's, that's exactly what he's saying in James 1, 26 and 27. He is borrowing this language from the Old Testament about the orphans and the widows. Why, and just practically speaking, why would an orphan or a widow get shortchanged in some court proceeding or in, um, well, let's just say in some court proceeding, some case, some judgment case? I mean, Generally speaking, they don't have anybody to, uh, to speak up for them. They don't have a lot of clout in society. They don't have a lot of standing. They don't have anybody to speak up for them. Uh, you, you've got some old widow, and you, your, your land is adjacent to hers, and you encroach on her land, and you're a rich man. And so she complains, and you go before a judge, and the judge looks at the two of you. You're a rich man who can um, do favors for the judge. You can keep him in power, whatever. This poor widow, she can't do anything for you. Uh, it's easy to, re to render a ruling in favor of the rich man showing partiality. So go to Psalm 82. This is the passage Jesus quotes in John 10. In Psalm 82, it says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and do what? Show partiality to the wicked. Yeah. And so then the, the admonition is vindicate the weak and fatherless. This would be the orphans or those who have no fathers. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And then in the last few verses, he reminds these people who are judges and have responsibility to not show partiality. He says, you know, I said you're gods. But you are men, and you're going to die like men. Don't forget, you are just a man. The, the reference to saying they were gods, I think, helps, helps us understand that. If we think back to the passage in Deuteronomy where he said the judgment is God, sometimes they would give judgments by revelation from God. And so in Exodus chapters 21 and 22, we actually see cases being described where things are to be brought before the judges in the Hebrew text actually says Elohim or gods. And so these men represented God and they would give, they could give God's judgment, but sometimes they would choose instead to show partiality and they're being warned not to do that. <clears throat> I'm curious there, uh, Jeff and, and Chase, Jeff, you mentioned this passage uh, in Psalm 82. Uh, it says to not show partiality to the wicked. Would you understand that to be, to show partiality, that, that word to show partiality, is that saying in favor of the wicked or against the wicked, would you I think? think? I think in context it's in favor of the wicked. Don't have a case brought before you where there's a wicked man and just justice would require you rule against him, but you rule in his favor because he's a man who has standing or clout. Yeah, so 
I, I agree with you. And to me, that makes Leviticus 19 really interesting. Uh, it seems to me that James is, uh, is thinking of Leviticus, like all of us do, um, uh, when, he, when he's speaking here in James 2. He, he quotes Leviticus 19 and verse 18. It seems like maybe, especially because of that quote, I'm inclined to think about Leviticus 19 and in verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Uh, that seems really right in line with what James is saying in James yep. 2, again, particularly because he goes on and quotes verse 18. Mm -hmm. So in that case, though, uh, Moses is saying in Leviticus 19, to not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person mighty. Um, and so if we took that position, as, as I agree, in Psalm 82, to show partiality to the wicked means in favor of the wicked. Here, he would say, don't even show partiality in favor of the poor. Um, if I understand it right, that Hebrew word is the idea of to exalt or to lift up, the, uh, to show partiality. Um, it seems like the Levitical instruction there is to be balanced, J just be just. Sometimes there's the temptation to uh, be prejudiced or partial or respect your person, sometimes in favor of people simply because they're poor, yeah. simply because they have been disadvantaged in some way. And, you know, our heart kind, our heartstrings are, are tugged at that. We might be inclined to speak dishonestly or unjustly in their favor because we feel bad for them. And what we need to do is simply be just. I, I love how Leviticus 19.15 just so strongly emphasized that the beginning of the verse, you shall do no injustice in judgment, and the end of that, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. We're, we just do not be respecter of persons. Yeah, mm -hmm. that I that and that <laughs> that expression not being a respecter of persons. You look at the facts. You treat people as you ought to treat them, regardless of who they are. You render justice. You're fair. You're good. We do unto others as we would have them do unto us. But we don't do ourselves, the person we're favoring, or society any favors if we uh, render an unjust judgment uh, because well, this person's a poor person. There, there's, another, there's another category of people who can be objects of injustice. And when the Bible talks about not showing partiality, uh, when it talks about giving righteous judgment and not taking advantage of someone, it mentions this category, and it's the alien. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 16, I charged your judges at that time saying, here are the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. This is a situation where it's tempting, well, this guy's my fellow countryman, and that guy's a foreigner, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to favor my fellow countrymen. And the law said, don't do that. You're showing partiality. And again, then the point in Deuteronomy 10, God's not partial. And so, so I think there's a, just kind of bringing it, back kind of to, I think there is a, a general idea here that scripture is presenting that we often will let different 
aspects of somebody's life cloud our judgment mm -hmm. um, for good or for bad. And that keeps justice from being able to be executed, the right thing from being, being done. And so that's why you see this admonition in Leviticus and Deuteronomy in James 2, to the best of your ability, take your goggles off, take your glasses off, not you, Jeff, or you might not be able to read, but take, take off those glasses and see the same way God would have you to see with a, with a clean slate. But that can be really hard for a lot of us. Um, and so, so for James 2, these people were struggling. They, they had that the pair of goggles on the way that they saw the rich and the way that they saw the poor. But I think you also saw some people who had some goggles on that God was calling them to take off as well in the New Testament. Um, and it was hard for them. One of my favorite examples of this is actually the Apostle Peter. Um, just this morning, Stephen and I actually did a, a webcast on, on our Facebook page, Capital City Christians on Acts 10, and talked about Cornelius. And it's funny, whenever you go to Acts 10, you often want to talk about Cornelius and what his household went through. And I love talking about Cornelius and what his household went through. But just as much as Cornelius was learning about Jesus, I think Peter is learning some new things too in Acts 10. He, he, man, he's, he is just overwhelmed by this information that he gets from God that is clearly about Gentiles, not having to become Jews or proselytize before they become Christians. Of course, in Acts 10, this vision comes to Cornelius to send off for Peter. But in the meantime, Peter has this vision where the sheet is lowered down with all these unclean animals. And God will say, Peter, kill and eat, or the angel will, will at least. Peter says in Acts 10, 14, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. The voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Happens three times. He's still confused. The men from Cornelius' household come knocking on the door of Simon the Tanner, and Peter takes off to Caesarea to run in and to talk to Cornelius, who has gathered that crowd um, of Gentile people for Peter to address. Peter gets to the house of Cornelius, and I love what he says um, in, uh, in Acts 10, uh, there in verse uh, 20, uh, 28. He says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Um, and that is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. And so Peter, he, he is saying, I before had this notion, I had this understanding that I wasn't even able to go into your home being a Jew, but God has told me otherwise. And so Peter now has to adjust his conscience. What he at first thought was wrong, he's being told, no, that's no longer wrong. And so he had to go and do it. Here's really the point that I'm trying to make with Peter, y'all. Verse 34, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. I think Peter has learned a valuable lesson. But does Peter learn that lesson overnight? Not at all. Does he... Does he apply that lesson overnight? Yeah, he has. Right. He, he sort of learned the lesson uh, overnight, almost literally, yes. But it took him a long time to, to really figure out the fullness of what that meant. Yeah. What, what makes us pause to say such a thing? Galatians 2. Right. And I, there's a whole debate on when Galatians 2 happened. I believe it happened in the Acts 15 account. But Paul will go to Peter in Galatians, the second chapter, and uh, Paul tells this story about Peter 
holding himself aloof is what the New American Standard says. He, he's acting basically one way with the Jews in a way he wouldn't act with the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out for his hypocrisy. In other words, he is being partial in his behavior with one group of people over the other. And he has to have that corrected. So he's having a hard time taking those lenses off. Um, and I think we all sometimes have some lenses like that that need to be cleared. And, and we talk today, so then we, we think about applic applying some of these things to race relations, and we talk as if this is a, a new problem in the last 150 years or something. But when you look at Acts 11, and you look at Peter coming back to Jerusalem after he has gone into uh, the home of Cornelius and preached the gospel to him, he comes back to Jerusalem, and it says in verse 2, when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, so Jews, and I, I take this to be Jewish believers, mm -hmm. ended with him saying, you went into men uncircumcised and you ate with them. I mean, it's hard. And I said that with a, with a tone of voice, but it's hard not to hear that tone of voice. As you read those words, there was just a, a disgust with which Jews viewed Gentiles. Um, it was a reality. It was such a reality. Jesus could use it in Matthew, the 18th chapter to illustrate what you may have to stand. You may have to take with somebody who refuses to turn from his sin. He said, let him be unto you as the tax collector or the Gentile. What'd that mean? It meant don't associate with it. Jesus was not endorsing the idea of showing partiality. Uh, he was not endorsing the idea that Gentiles are the scum of the earth, but that's the way the Jews thought of them. And, and so you see in the body of Christ, then in the New Testament, Jew and Gentile coming together, and there's a great deal of emphasis through, throughout the book of Romans. How many times do you read, there's no distinction? How many times does Paul in Romans and Galatians make the point that, that salvation is the same for all, and not only are we all saved in the same way, but then they are united. We are all united in one body. And so certainly within the body of Christ, most especially, we should not be having partiality uh, toward somebody because, well, it's somebody of a different race or something. Yeah. Amen. I, I completely agree. And so there, there's partiality in race uh, that we see in the New Testament. There's partiality in rich versus poor. Guys, do we see partiality in any other way in Scripture? Um, sure we do. I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, male, and, male and female, certainly. Yeah, I think that's another really good one. Um, I, I personally, I think Paul makes a very good point. Um, I don't know what all the cultural impacts behind what he said in Galatians 3 would have, but, but Paul will be very clear. Uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Well, and um, maybe so I certainly think there could have been some of that. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Evidence of how there could have been partiality shown in that way in the book of Ruth, when uh, Ruth is, is gathering, uh, gleaning from the harvest fields of, of Boaz, and he becomes aware of her, he gives some instructions, and I'm trying to spot it in uh, chapter two, I believe it is. Um, let's see, it should be chapter two. Anyway, he warns his workers, uh, against taking advantage of this, uh, 
now single woman, this widow, um, verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Um, and also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. You can see a situation where a woman in that situation, not having maybe standing, uh, she's a foreigner, she's a woman, she doesn't have a husband. People could speak abusively toward her. They could say, get out of here, you nuisance, or worse, they could take advantage of her sexually. And, uh, so that would be the kind of thing where a righteous man like Boaz would say, no, we, no we're not going to treat her that way. We're not going to take advantage of, of, uh, of, the, of her. And, and I think this is a really important text. I think we have to be careful with making broad stroked applications, but it is good to be informed about certain scenarios. And here you do have a woman who is a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. She's a woman. She's a widow. Uh, you know, think about those passages that Jesus talked about. There are several things working against her uh, in society. Boaz, a, a, a worthy man, a virtuous man, the text calls him, steps up and says, I want to help protect her. I want to help take care of her. It's such an honorable thing to do uh, when you find someone in that situation. Again, it, he's being just in what he's doing in, uh, in that circumstance. He's insisting that they follow the law uh, and allow that gleaning. Don't be partial against her. And let's go a step further. He, he's, even, he's even saying, let's do her a favor. There's nothing wrong with doing somebody a favor. Well, Joe, I really appreciate the point you made from Luke 19, I mean, Leviticus 19 earlier. I had not caught that where it says, don't show partiality to the poor, that what that's saying is, don't, don't render a judgment in favor of a poor man and against a rich man just because you have some kind of compassion for poor people. I had not caught that, and that's, that's, I believe you're right about that. But that doesn't mean it's inappropriate to do a favor for somebody. It's one thing to render an unjust judgment when there are two people in a dispute and to take the side of somebody uh, unjustly. It's another thing to say, here's somebody who could use a break. And I, I think that he does that when he says in verse 16, uh, leave it, uh, that she, uh, you also shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So he does her a favor. Who, who owned that wheat that, uh, that he ordered them to, to throw out? Right. <laughs> he did. It was his to give. Exactly. Some people sometimes get upset because a favor is being done for somebody. Reminds me of a parable of our Lord, right? Uh, the, the workers that had gone out at different hours and uh, uh, the, uh, the owner pays them all the same wage and some feel like they've been robbed. He, he gave them what he had agreed to give them. Right. Business is it of theirs if somebody else is, is being, if he's being generous to somebody else. Such an important distinction, such an important distinction. It's awfully easy for me to do somebody a favor if I'm doing it with somebody else's money. Right. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Hey, Joe, I'll buy you lunch. Chase, give me some money so I can buy <laughs> Joe lunch. <laughs> um, well, guys, what about, I, I, oh, yeah, go, go ahead, Joe. No, 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 I was about to change gears a little bit. 
Well, I, I don't know if, uh, if I can think of a particular biblical example of this, although maybe there is one, um, but certainly a practical application is education levels. Maybe if I were going to make a biblical case for that, it might be the sense of the Pharisees and those who were more educated, the scribes, that kind of thing. They would look down upon the common people, oh, John Pine. Yeah. Um, but certainly today, X, X4, th these okay. are untrained, untrained men. Like why, yeah. how are they yeah. speaking the way that they're speaking? Yeah. Um, and so certainly we find today, sometimes people will look down upon somebody because they don't have a high school education or a college education. Uh, I can remember one time I was uh, sitting with a group of people and, uh, they were reminiscing. I barely knew them. They were reminiscing about uh, some of their old classmates, and they said, well, whatever happened to so-and-so? To and one of them said, he dropped out. He's probably working in a factory someplace. Mm. And said the word factory, she almost had to spit to say it. You could, you could hear the disgust. And I just kind of leaned back in my chair and smiled and just kept to myself because uh, I was working in a factory at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought, wow, that, that really betrayed what's in her heart about you know, that kind of a, of an employment. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes people will look at somebody who is college uh, educated and, uh, and think that, that that makes them less of a person for whatever, makes them soft or something. We, we don't have any right to, to make those kinds of, of judgments, especially with selfish motives and, and thoughts. Usually those kinds of judgments are based upon what we've experienced and, uh, you know, where we are. So education is good and education is a tool, but when we look at being educated as a status that somehow makes somebody more important than somebody else, well, think first Corinthians chapter one and two, where Paul talks about the Corinthians and their problem of lining up after this man or that man or the other man and identifying themselves as followers of this man or that man and Paul launches into a discussion about the wisdom of the world and talks about how God makes it all foolish. And he says in verse 26, behold, your calling brethren, not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God chose the foolish things of the world that he might put to shame them that are wise. And God chose the weak things of the world that he might put to shame the things that are strong and so on. Not to say that education is a bad thing, but whatever education anybody has, it falls far short of the knowledge, uh, the wisdom of God that he's revealed to us. So you've got an, an uneducated man who has a simple faith and he puts his trust in the word of God and does his best to live accordingly. And then you've got this very educated man who's so educated, he doubts that really the Bible is even the word of God. Uh, which one is really better educated? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what I was going to say. Education, I think sometimes can be just so it, it's subjective. Uh, people have their own definitions of what it means to be educated or enlightened um, oftentimes. And it goes back to what we said at the beginning of the podcast. We got to let the Bible determine and define those types of things. I, I said, John nine, let me just correct that. What I was referring to was John seven. And uh, in that case, it's rather humorous. What's take, what takes place. Uh, the Pharisees had sent, the soldiers to apprehend Jesus, they came back and said, wow, nobody ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees get upset with this. Are, are you deceived also? 
uh, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? And then he goes on, but this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. Yeah. Nicodemus stands up and goes to defend them. And then they say in verse 52, they answer that, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Well, here they are. These, the, the people, the crowd, they don't know the law. They don't understand this. And then they turn right around and say, no prophets ever come out of Galilee. That's exactly where Jonah had come from. And so here in their efforts to, to proclaim their superior knowledge of the law, the very next thing that they say, they express ignorance about it. Um, it's, it's just kind of a, a, a humorous situation to see people boasting about how much they know and how you need to listen to them. And again, that can come in whatever field. And, mm -hmm. and what we all ought to recognize is that if we would take all of the, the fields of study that, that exist, almost all of us, probably all of us, are ignorant about the majority of them. You know, we, we have very limited knowledge in, uh, in, in various fields. We should never be boastful, and we certainly should not look higher or lower upon other people's worth based upon that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amen. Let me, let me uh, we've got a few more minutes here, but let me bring up another story as we discuss this idea of doing the right thing and focusing on justice being executed and making sure we're doing the right thing, regardless of the person is. I think that's really the tone of a message Jesus gives in Luke 10 with the Good Samaritan. Um, there's a man that goes down to Jerusalem. He, uh, sorry, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's left half dead. The priest goes by, he doesn't do anything. The Levite goes by, he doesn't do anything. And then a Samaritan, who the Jews looked down upon, comes upon this man, feels compassion for him, bandaged up his wounds, pours oil on them, takes him to an inn, pays for it, says, whatever else it takes, I'll pay for it. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the man says, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said, go and do the same. That's Luke 10, 30 through 37. The emphasis on this story, I think there's a lot of different takeaways from it. But one of the emphases I want to make right now, it wasn't about the fact that he was a Samaritan or whoever, if the man that was beaten up was a Jew. It was the fact that he did the right thing. He came upon the situation and executed justice. The just thing to do would be to help the person who needs justice. It, it didn't matter the skin color or it didn't matter how much money does this guy have in his wallet or how much money does this guy not have in his wallet. It, 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 none of that mattered. It was don't show partiality in terms of justice. Execute justice here and do the right thing. Um, I not really thought about the Good Samaritan in that way until you guys described partiality the way that you did. So, so let's refine um, that a little bit. Rather than saying he needs justice, what he needs is help. For me to be a righteous person or a just person, for me to be a good person, I need to give help. Um, and so the criterion is, uh, does this per person need help? Is, is he a, a creature of God? Yeah, he needs mercy. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and he executed mercy as well, or, or gave mercy to him. I guess justice, I meant in, in the sense of, of vindication, that the man was taken care of, I guess, in that sense is one way I was thinking about it. But yeah, regardless, it's a good story. It illustrates our obligation to our fellow man, not just our obligation to our fellow American, not just our obligation to our fellow person of the same socioeconomic class or the same race. It, it, it illustrates our obligation to our fellow man. Yeah, absolutely. And the Samaritans and Jews is just another one of those strings of things that we see throughout the New Testament. Jesus, of course, talking with the uh, Samaritan woman in John 4, and also the forgotten good Samaritan in Luke 17, that after Jesus heals him of his leprosy, turns around and comes back and thanks Jesus for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, how much time do we have? Can I go there? Five minutes. Yeah, go ahead. So I think it's helpful uh, to think about race in this term. Um, recently I read, and I have no idea if this is a popular thought or not, um, but somebody was suggesting that when we make statements like, we need to remember that there are not multiple races, that there is one race, the human race, that that, that, that conflates or, or confuses the issues at hand. I would suggest that that's not a biblical response to that. The fact is, we are all made in the image of God. Every single person, soul has no color, uh, has, you know, we, we need to not think in those terms. And I believe that the biblical answer to partiality and the, the struggles that we're facing in society today and have faced since at least when Joseph took his family, Jacob took his family into Egypt. Remember the Egyptians didn't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, you know, we can go at least that far back. Um, it's always been an issue. God has always been the answer. And to remember that we are made in the image of God and every person we see, whether they look like us, whether they speak like us, whether they smell like us, they are worthy in God's eyes because Jesus died for them. And, and, and I need to see that. that, that they, mm. they were made in God's image. I think that that is very much the answer to, to not showing partiality is if I can simply remember Jesus died for this individual. Wow, they have a lot of, of worth in God's eyes. I need to value them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, go ahead, Chase. Go ahead, no, no, go ahead. Well, we're living we're living in a world where there's a lot of talk about racial issues. I'm not I don't, I'm not sure I've got this thought clearly formed well enough to say it, but I'll give it a try. You know, we go back to the 1800s and we see Charles Darwin and we see the theory of evolution come along. Charles Darwin was a clergyman, right? Mm -hmm. And yet his view of evolution, where instead of talking about what you just described, everybody being a preacher of God, uh, a creation of God, uh, his view really was that if you looked at the Africans, for example, that they were really inferior and in his evolutionary scheme of things they were uh less evolved they were more primitive that that idea goes with this evolutionary perspective today there are a lot of people who um are, are very much 
very loud in talking about uh, how uh, we need to get rid of racism and discrimination and that kind of thing. And yet at the same time, they're throwing off uh, the Bible, throwing it away and, and turning away from the idea that we are creatures from God. It is the fact, as you just described it, that we are creatures of God that gives humanity his nobility, whatever human it might be. And when we say, no, we've just evolved, well, then you end up with, uh, in some people's minds, uh, no, no reason to see human beings as particularly noble or uh, elevated above the rest of creation. Right. So Charles Darwin said some very racist things uh, in some of his writings, and that doesn't get a whole lot of attention today. Absolutely. And, and so one thing we'll stress here as we, we've only got a few more seconds is that in Jesus Christ, um, none of this should be happening. None of this should be going on. This so-called racism or, or prejudice or partiality, whatever you want to call it. I, I like to call it partiality because that's what the Bible uses. But in Jesus Christ, especially, none of this should be going on. And if we see ourselves treating somebody with less kindness or less mercy based off of some type of external difference from me to them, that is something we need to fix. James 2 verse 9 says that is sin when we commit partiality. So we need to do better about that. Um, I hope this podcast or webcast, however you're listening, has been helpful today, guys. Uh, thank you so much for, for your, um, your feedback and um, your comments, Joe and, uh, and Jeff. This has been really helpful for me. So Lord willing, we'll meet everyone back here next Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Everyone take care. God bless.